We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Touchdown. And a massive week for fantasy football implications. We have our week 14 recap show here, Sean, for the NFL fantasy football and NFL in general. But an interesting week here in week 14 talked about it just before we started recording some of the middle tier maybe of players have hit this week some of the players who haven't hit as much this season but overall a hugely entertaining week i thought with some massive performances massive plays and looking forward to talking about it on today's show with you i know you had some ffpc main event finals this week which are obviously still underway but you've mentioned they've they've gotten a positive tone so wishing you success as that finishes out for the rest of the week you may hear more about that on this week's Stadium Bananas over on Rotoviz Radio. But Sean, we're going to kick things off here with the Philadelphia Eagles. And this team is, I well, I think they're the real deal. They are now 12-1. They are the one seed in the NFC. They beat the Giants, who people thought maybe coming into this, this could be a, a contest. It could be pretty close. But the doors got absolutely blown off the Giants early in this one, and that continued throughout. They finished 48-22. And it was one of those days where because it was so much in control, Justin Hurts wasn't truly pushed to to get the ball to his pass catchers. But even in doing so, with 217 yards, two touchdowns, he does split that between Devontae Smith and AJ Brown, both getting in the end zone, both getting you know a healthy day overall. But the, the story then, I guess, coming out of it is the rushing game. We get a rushing touchdown for Hurts himself. We get a late rushing touchdown for Boston Scott. We get Miles Sanders getting 114 yards and two touchdowns on 17 carries. So just a, a comfortable, comprehensive victory here for the Eagles. On the other side, we don't get a huge amount happening on the Giants side. And this is one of those games where the game script didn't fit what the Giants want to do. Saquon Barkley came into the game with that kind of game time decision, doesn't get involved a huge amount, says after the game that he is confident he will be good to go for week 15 sean eagles giants what were your key takeaways here yeah well everybody who got knocked out because saquon barkley couldn't do much today it's, it yeah. doesn't help them a ton yeah. he's gonna week, be good week 15 week. it's not gonna matter <laughs> no but like you said this was such an exciting week because of all those fantasy implications i found myself scoreboard watching more today than the entire rest of the season combined had multiple main event situations coming down to sort of the final moments and or just 
<laughs> the games today. And you mentioned this Philadelphia Eagles game with both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith scoring. Devontae Smith, one of our favorite guys. He looked fantastic in this game. It appeared that the Giants were working to take A.J. Brown away with the flurry of targets that you got for Devontae Smith in this game. He ends up with eight. Many of those were early before the game gets out of hand. And you talk about how good the Philadelphia Eagles have been this season. And you've got to consider that not only do they score 48 points today, but they did throttle it down, down the stretch because they were so far ahead. And I mean, this isn't the first game that they've done this where they've been so far ahead. It's reminding me a bit of uh, when the Packers were really on a roll kind of in the 2012-2013 range. There was a lot of games where at home, particularly Rodgers was getting pulled out of these games. Jordy Nelson was getting pulled out of games. And it feels a little bit like that now that this team is so efficient and so dominant that, you know, three quarters of a game are going to are going to get it done and you're not going to get all the, all the points that you need. Yeah. And since we were playing Hurts today in a huge league, you're rooting for him to get those points before... You know, it's more or less garbage time and he won't be involved as much every time Miles Sanders scores. You have this big groan. Devontae Smith was playing for and against me today. You're just hoping not to thread the needle to where he scores just enough to beat you, but not enough to carry you to victory. He had a couple of other plays he could have made. He catches five of his eight targets. He has a, a circuit catch he fails to make. He has a borderline drop. And then he has what would have been another long touchdown where he fails to get the second foot in, you'd like to see him make. I thought that was a play he should have made. Like, it's a good catch, but we see later in the day, Tyler Lockett do something similar where he, you know, drags that second toe. And I thought it was more a case that he tried to get the foot in rather than, as we see players, like, you know, kind of put their body on the line a little bit to stretch out the toe to, to get it in. I think, in hindsight, I think he's going to think that that's a play he could have made. Yeah, and a play that he should have made is what he's going to think himself. Now, it was a difficult play, and so just to come down with the ball in the first place is a nice effort. If you think that you have the foot in, then it can be tempting to not sort of drag your foot in a way that's going to create a somersault, all this type of thing, maybe even get yourself injured. So you can understand what he's doing on that play, but just for fantasy managers who barely lose and are playing Smith, that play will be one they look back on and really wish that he had made. But as you say, this Eagles juggernaut looks absolutely amazing. Only the six targets today for A.J. Brown. He does have a bad drop, but on the other five targets, four catches, 70 yards, a touchdown. He's beating teams even without the huge target volume. And this has been the theme for him for years now. And so to be able to do this again, to control a divisional opponent, I mean, they're still good. The Giants have run into some difficult matchups recently. I think that Daniel Jones looked good in this before he's pulled. Obviously, they've got some other guys doing some things like a Gary Brightwell. He was one of the players that Ben recommended at the end of the week on stealing bananas. He does have more carries than Matt Breida. Also has three targets for the two receptions. It's difficult to see a scenario in which he has any relevance unless Barkley is out. But if you're in leagues where you're still making free agent pickups, where you're trying to stash guys who could, you know, come in there and make some plays down the stretch. We saw again today, the Zonovan Knight, another big performance. You've got other fantasy relevant backups in the Samaj AP Ryan punches in another touchdown. You never know when you're going to need that player because of injuries or 
other unfortunate things that might befall your players. Brightwell, someone just to keep in the very back of your mind if you're looking for deep, deep stashes. Yeah, and the other thing with this Eagles team, they're just they're so fun to watch, but they're so efficient, and I do like the aggressiveness of how they're playing. You know, they're a team that usually are trying to get the team off the field on those three downs, punted on fourth down. The Eagles, a lot of the time, are, are using that fourth down as well to try and move the chains, and this is a game where, you know, you just see how efficient they are at moving the ball and, and kind of casting away the the opposition but sean another game and this this may have been the game of the week maybe the game we should have started with but i wanted to start with that that eagles game but that is the vikings and the lions sean the lions are now six and seven on the season a season where they've they've lost some close ones they've lost some tough ones they have now won five of their last six as they get a 34 23 victory and they look to be in pretty much control of this one throughout they have lost one game as i mentioned there off the last six that was to the buffalo bills on thanksgiving that was a last kind of two to three second field goal and a 28 25 loss to, to one of the best teams in the nfl so they are in a really good stretch of form we've talked on the show before about obviously you're a fan of the lions and it's hard for me as a divisional rival but they are a really good story to get behind so i'm kind of on board and we have a lot invested in them as a, a fantasy kind of team for 2022 so um this was a, an awesome game by jared goff he goes for 330 yards three touchdowns going his way we get jamal williams involved with 16 carries not doing a huge amount 37 yards swift is mixed in there there's 30 rush attempts in this for the uh, detroit lions going for 134 yards and one touchdown combined between all running options there dj chark as we mentioned on some of the recent shows continues to work himself in there he gets one touchdown 94 yards six receptions six receptions for Amon Ross St. Brown 68 yards no touchdowns for him we get a touchdown for Josh Reynolds a touchdown for Jameson Williams on which was his first catch in the NFL Sean and somebody who's gonna be a dynamic playmaker coming back from injury obviously the Lions used a lot of draft capital to get him this year two targets for him that was early in the game I was surprised there wasn't a, a little bit more going his way but they are working him back in and you've seen some of his you know athleticism on that play but it was a case where you know it was a pretty busted coverage come the end of things there on the other side we get our guy sean tj hawkinson he gets eight targets six receptions 77 yards has a bad drop in this one but the the player who far and away is the juice in this offense is justin jefferson it wasn't enough to get them the win today but he gets 15 targets 11 receptions 223 yards he breaks the receiving franchise record for a single game for the minnesota vikings here kurt cousins is 425 yards two touchdowns no interceptions but a lot of that in comeback mode as they try and work their way back what were some of your key takeaways here in this this uh as we say every week a fun lions game yeah i mean you go through and look at the team stats here and you have 464 yards for the lions 416 for the vikings perhaps not that surprising on the Vikings side as where the Lions really still struggle is on the defensive side. It is another game where in the back of your head, you can't help but ask yourself you know, where Kirk Cousins would be if he hadn't gotten to play this huge chunk of his career, starting with Stefan Diggs, now with Justin Jefferson, possibly the two premier wide receivers. I mean, there are three other guys there. In terms of Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and now Jamar Chase coming up, that really the big group but I mean, Justin Jefferson, 15 targets in this game, 223 yards, as you mentioned. He averages 20 yards per catch, even though the defense knows exactly 
what is coming there. You mentioned the drop on Hawkinson. He comes right back and makes a beautiful play to convert a third down. You get a touchdown for Adam Thielen. I mean, these guys have a balanced offense in the passing game here. Really on both sides, you're looking at this game and thinking to yourself, I mean, we could have had more than 57 points if they hadn't been so intent on running the ball in some key situations. As you mentioned, the 30 rushing attempts for the Lions, the big problem that they had, and the only reason that the team isn't more explosive is that they really do want to get Jamal Williams involved, and he is not a playmaker. 16 carries, 37 yards, obviously not even two and a half yards per carry there on the other side. Dalvin Cook completely... The, the Lions stopped the run here. They, they, they did. I think that's fair to say. They, <laughs> they uh, did stop the run. 17 carries for 22 yards combined, uh, 1.3 yards per carry between Cook and Madison. Not, not good. It's so odd to look at that part of it because, yeah, I, I mean, those 17 plays are completely and totally wasted. Cook does get the touchdown. He does have a reception, so it's not a catastrophic fantasy day, but he's a guy who doesn't, I mean, he just doesn't look like he used to look. And the Vikings are hurting their offense by trying to incorporate him at the level that they are. I mean, Kirk Cousins passed 41 times in this game and averaged more than 10 yards per attempt. Now, he does get sacked three times for 26 yards lost. And, I mean, that is a minor issue in terms of stopping these drives. You get the fumble by Cook. You get the fumble by Hawkinson. You have a, a drive that ends on downs. I mean, you're looking at this game, and when Kirk Cousins throws for 425 yards – doesn't throw a pick when Justin Jefferson has 223 yards receiving. You're kind of trying to figure out how they only score 23 points in this game. They fall to 10 and three. There are going to be some people who say, you know, losing to the lions continues to expose the Vikings as a pretty mediocre team. I really think that the story is on the other side where Jerry Goff. I mean, he drops back and pulls the trigger. I mean, his season has not been to the level of a Tua, but you look what happened to Tua today, and it reminds us that once you play the full 17-game season, there are going to be a few duds in there. The numbers are going to be hurt, at least mildly, by those down performances. And Goff had had a couple of those in the middle before they started this big winning streak. I, I was blown away before the season, looking back at the Lions here and realizing that they'd lost one score game, so like five of the top teams in the entire NFL that they've scored the third most touchdowns coming into this week by the Eagles and the chiefs. You think to yourself, how is that even possible? And then you watch this game and Jared Goff looks like the guy who was putting up huge point totals and getting the Los Angeles Rams to the Super Bowl. Now in both of these cases, when he's been successful, he's had some very nice pieces around him. Obviously you've got good pieces and you've got great coaching there with the Rams on this team. Now you have so many weapons. I and mean, one of the things we've been waiting for all season is to see DJ Chark, right? He's somebody who has been good in the past, still relatively young. You're asking yourself, is he going to come back and be that explosive athlete that he was in his breakout second year in the NFL? He really flashes during training camp. He has the big night when they have their sort of, you know, friends and family scrimmage. And the expectations are not necessarily high, but they're solid. And then he comes out and doesn't really do anything, gets hurt, has to spend that stretch on IR. The Lions, when they don't have him, when Amon Ra is limited, obviously they had some discontent with Hawkinson, decide to trade him. And you go from having this really explosive offense, you know, with DeAndre Swift out as well, to where you have Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond are the guys more or less driving the bus. When you look at 
Goff's entire season, you've got to consider that there was a stretch where he's throwing to those guys. That stretch was not as dynamic, but I mean, again, they did make some plays during that time period as well. You look at this game where, again, I mean, Jamison Williams' touchdown is on a broken play, but you can see that long speed. And when teams have to account for Amon Ra underneath, there are going to be some of those plays in the future. It'll be interesting to see you know, what Chark's role is with the team over the long term. There are going to be some big plays for him. He scores a touchdown in this one. He has a 48-yard reception. He pulls seven targets. This kind of balance between Chark, Amon Ra, and then eventually Jamison Williams. But in this game, you have Josh Reynolds, where he goes through the stretch, where he really is the ball hockey. It ends up with 551-1. I mean, this is the game where Jared Goff goes for 330-3, and and Amon Ra was really not even that involved. I mean, he didn't carry Goff in this one. One of the interesting things that we're kind of going through when Ben and I were trying to decide how we wanted to fit our roster, because you go into the FFPC playoffs, we had to win today to get into the shootout. And in that particular league, I mean, that's your focus because you think, okay, we have a team that could win the million dollars. You've got to get there first. So what are the trade-offs between making moves for that and then protecting yourself a little bit? In order to make this push to get there, we had ended up with a lineup where we didn't have a backup quarterback and we didn't have a second kicker. And you're saying to yourself, I mean, a second kicker is that kind of silly. But the kicker injuries we've had this year already. And then for folks who've been following kind of how these contests have run over the last five years, we have actually a lot of teams who lose their kickers. And then when you're staring at taking zeros if you don't have a second one we're trying to balance that versus the defense that we have in and so we weren't able to bid high enough to get the kansas city chiefs that seemed like it would have been a good play against the denver broncos obviously some odd things happen and that one a big jerry judy breakout but you're trying to balance do we want to switch from minnesota to a team like the panthers a team like the Browns, a team like the Bengals, you're thinking that in that Browns-Bengals game, one way or another, one of these teams is going to get some sacks, is probably going to get a turnover. And you're looking at this matchup with the Lions, and you're thinking, okay, the Minnesota Vikings have kind of a middle-of-the-road defense. They create some pressure. They turn the ball over a little bit. But then you're looking at the Detroit side, especially with this game being in Detroit. One of the things that really jumps out is that Jerry Goff is not taking sacks or throwing picks. So when you look at what the Lions are doing here, being 6-7, and seven, having this big win, all of the close losses, making a push toward the playoffs, and at the very least a push toward a team that next year looks like it could be you know, a, a very serious contender for the NFC North, we decided to stay put. But as I'm watching this game, I'm feeling like it was a mistake because, I mean, Goff is not getting anyone close to him ever. And he's able to read the defense and release the ball so quickly that, I mean, the Minnesota pass rush is not even a factor in this game. And so he does. He finishes another game with no picks, no sacks. That's about as clean as you can play as a quarterback. I'm not saying that Jerry Goff is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he is somebody that we talked about a lot for Superflex best ball, for best ball in general if you miss your top guys because you compare him with some of these players who we had hoped that Jamison Williams was going to be involved earlier on in the season it's too bad that it's taken to this point even in a game where he scores a long touchdown he's not really a fantasy factor it doesn't really look like he will be during these next three weeks when you have your races in the various best ball formats 
But Jared Goff, somebody also, because of his age, I mean, Jared Goff could play for another 10 years in the NFL if a team likes him, if a team's willing to go with him here. And one of the things with the Lions, you talk about him playing his way out of the Lions being able to use their pick for a quarterback. Then the, the complicating factor is the Rams have been so bad that the pick that they got with him could be used on a QB kind of a, a funny little thing for him the other night i'm sure that he was well i shouldn't say this but in the back of his mind he's got to be thinking well it would help my team if our first round pick is higher but it decreases the chances that they use a, the pick on a quarterback to replace me with the rams winning that game a lot going well for jerry goff this weekend and and even if he doesn't end up as the long-term qb for the lions and even if he doesn't win a bunch of fantasy titles for people this year a lot of credit to him for what he's doing now to this whole Lions organization and to Dan Campbell, because we're not that far removed from the ownership having to go out there and say, look, we're not going to fire these guys. I mean, that's how far the Lions have come in the last month. Yeah, really, really nice moves from them in terms of how they're playing. I'm going to go through some stats here, Sean, and it's going to be our one bet segment of today. You can sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNN bet.com to start winning sean the stats i'm going to go through here are between jared goff and geno smith because the next game we're going to go to is going to be that game in seattle that obviously the seahawks do not come out on top of but we get jared goff you mentioned his age he turned 28 in october so he's going to be age 28 entering this upcoming season i think it's a situation where you mentioned you know how they go with quarterback i think quarterback is the way they are going to go in this upcoming draft but what i think it does is it gives them the option to have the veteran in their play for a season or play into the season i think he's done enough though that he deserves to actually have a shot where there's not just that immediate pressure breathing down his neck but i think that might still be the the view that will be on golf moving out of this but based on how things have gone this season obviously geno smith is kind of in most people's opinion the the standout runaway winner for the comeback player of the year we have a situation here where on the season Geno Smith has 3,433 yards passing. He has 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions. You mentioned how he's not turning the ball over and not taking sacks, and that is Jared Goff. He has seven interceptions on the season, 22 touchdowns, 3,352 yards. So I think it'll surprise some people who haven't been paying a lot of attention to the Lions just how close those guys are and, and just how well goff has played and when we look then at the receiving options obviously we have dk metcalf tyler lockett noah fant and a crew on the other side when we look then at the players you mentioned already but then you have hawkinson who's got traded away in the season for jared goff losing one of his key pieces my question sean for you is who should be rated higher for the rest of the season out of these two guys well i think it's got to be goff with the way the lions offense is firing on all cylinders right now i do think that gino had another good game today even in the loss they had what seemed to be a pretty bad call where multiple panthers were off sides when he throws his second pick part of the reason that he uncorked the pass that he did is that he assumes that it's a free play and so when you look at the box score there and you see those interceptions you have to put those into the mix for him or, or that second one because then he comes back he runs his two-minute drill gets a touchdown he runs the drill at the end gets a score that 
mostly relevant from a fantasy perspective because they had run the timeout and they're going to have to recover the onside kick in order to do anything with that final score. But it was also a situation where I mean, Pete Carroll is about to dry because they punt down multiple scores with six minutes to go in this game on a fourth and eight. I mean, that play may be on your own side of the field, but you have to go for it there. Again, a situation where a head coach doesn't necessarily seem to know what's going on. And it's too bad because, I mean, this is a game, obviously, that the Seahawks have to win at home. The Panthers, hilariously enough, are (laughs) right there now in the NFC South battle by winning this game. You keep going back, or at least I keep thinking how unfortunate and kind of unlucky and in some ways unfair it was that DJ Moore, who... Three targets today, zero receptions. That dud, obviously going to be very frustrating for fantasy managers. But that's unfortunate because if he doesn't have that play, the Panthers are six and seven and maybe the favorites here. This was a very well-rounded performance from a Carolina Panthers squad that is going to have to manufacture some things around Sam Darnold. You wouldn't expect to win a game where DJ Moore doesn't have a reception, but they have morphed into an offense that traded away Christian McCaffrey and yet they come back and they maybe have two of the the most fun I wouldn't say young stars in terms of Deontay Foreman's situation Chuba having a really under the radar but fantastic bounce back season from what was a terrible rookie campaign when CMC got hurt last year obviously the surrounding circumstances not that great very vanilla offense just the difference in this team after the firing of Matt Rule is pretty incredible but Chuba Hubbard, fantastic in this game. 14 carries, 74 yards, a touchdown. Also catches three passes for 25 yards. It's never great when a running back who catches three passes for 25 yards is the second leading receiver for your team. It's even more humorous maybe if the leading receiver is LaVisca Chenault. But within that context, because he rushes for 74 yards, because Foreman goes for 74 yards, they get a contribution from Raheem Blackshear, who is kind of one of these, again, like deep, deep, deep bench stashes. He has a 16-yard touchdown run in this game. But Hubbard, somebody said during the draft process, you want to get him, because even if he's a bust, he's the kind of guy that you want to have on as many teams as possible, especially when you consider the cost. He's somebody in these really shallow dynasty leagues that I add and cut, add and cut, add and cut. Obviously, he's been kind of on that borderline of whether you would have him on a redraft team He's going to be a very trendy add again this next week due to this game. When your offense is as limited as it is with Sam Darnold at quarterback, then most of the time you're not going to have this happen. But we talked about it when they move McCaffrey, that Hubbard and Foreman are so talented that you want to have some exposure despite the context. Yeah, and when we look at this game, Sam Darnold, I have to admit watching this game like, it's not a fun experience watching these Sam Darnold games, but where he's come from to get to this point to lead an NFL team on the road to a victory is a massive win for him. We'll see how the team develops over the, the coming weeks and what they do in the offseason. The, the Panthers, really since you know Cam Newton kind of had a little bit of a decline as a player and then was released by the Panthers, they really have had just a, a merry-go-round of quarterback trying to find that next piece. So we'll see what happens there. Maybe, Sean, we'll just leave a teaser. Maybe that answer maybe in-house maybe they they got him last year in the draft we'll see how how that plays out but um another i think this was a this was a bad loss for for the seahawks overall in this one one stat that i didn't mention sean that i wanted to get back to just when we're talking about the lions game is justin jefferson and how that massive performance could potentially impact history moving forward jefferson is now on pace 
for 1961 receiving yards which will be three yards shy of calvin johnson's single season record from 2012 so we'll see if he can get somewhere near it's always fun in those last couple of weeks to, to see that and obviously with an extra game as well now for some of these records we will see those you know kind of start to topple down a little bit as as time moves on here but sean the next game we are going to hit is the browns and the Bengals. 23 10 win for cincinnati they moved to nine and four deshaun watson continues to have his struggles we thought this would happen when he came back and obviously hadn't played in almost two years back-to-back games with with a lot you know struggles in there but does throw 42 times here little bit better for performance from him but the the browns really do struggle to get much going outside of donovan people's jones who has 12 targets eight receptions 114 yards for him david njoku starting to get back in on the action after his injury nine targets seven receptions 59 yards and a touchdown for him so pretty solid days there but sean the big talking point in this one for me anyway i'm sure it's gonna be the same for you is we do get some injuries in this game one of them an actual injury that happens during the game that one is of Tyler Boyd who has a finger injury he goes out early in this one the other injury though being the talking point that I that I mentioned is T Higgins he was on the injury report removed from the injury report looks like everything's gonna be good to go he is can he use for for one drive then is is not in for the rest of the game this is something that we've seen with T Higgins himself already this season we've seen things like this with the Bengals a few times we see the NFL trying to implement different fines different things around the league in terms of you know feigning injury for players going down on the field while the drive is in process to try and you know stop the clock or to to get you know a little bit of a delay game but in this situation where we're seeing players and we're obviously talking about the health and safety of players but if it's a case that you're not healthy enough to play you should be on the injury report if you're healthy enough to play you shouldn't like be on the sideline with your helmet for entire games and it is the second time this season interestingly enough with T Higgins that, that this has happened but overall, another another nice day from Joe Burrow. It is the first time he does beat the Cleveland Browns. He had been uh, he had lost every game previous to this. And the big talking point, I guess, if we're talking about nice fantasy days, is Jamar Chase. He has 15 targets in the absence of pretty much all other receivers. The next closest uh, receiving option with targets was four targets for Trent Taylor. We get the flea flicker touchdown to Trenton Erwin, 45-yard touchdown on that play. But uh 10 receptions 119 yards one touchdown for chase and the touchdown play very impressive because he he isn't really looking for the ball and to probably when the ball hits his hands first is when he decides that the ball might be coming his way uh pretty fun play for that touchdown joe mixon i thought sean looked pretty good in his return to action he had a 40 yard long and his 96 total yards rushing in this one what was your takeaways here and and what's your thoughts on what we've seen with uh, t higgins this week again yeah, I think that these guys, if they feel like they're healthy and the team feels like they're healthy enough to play, I mean, you want to have them out there until they can't do it. And so, I mean, I understand wanting to get out there and play and then being careful if it doesn't work out. It's very frustrating from a fantasy manager perspective. One of the things that we've discussed you know, several times this season is that you know, for example, if you had a team, and this was the crazy thing with the team that, you know, I referenced that Ben and I had to make those decisions, where we lose Judy on the first play twice and Dobbs on the first play once. I mean, that's three different times. You talk about, I mean, there are lots of different starting options during the course of a season, but these leagues are going to be close, right? I mean, you're not going to win too many of them just massively going away. You have those situations hit you. 
you lose the points and it sets you back. And so I didn't come down today with a lot of specific teams that were competing for titles or to get into the playoffs where Higgins exposure was significant. But I mean, I definitely feel the pain of everybody who did because I mean, that part is just, it's so hard. You look at Jamar Chase, the 15 targets today, he can do everything. And because you can get him open underneath, because you can get him over the top. I mean, Jamar Chase is basically a souped up version of Stefan Diggs, who's been our favorite player for you know, almost a decade here to watch what he's able to do. And I mean, there are going to be some games like this where the other guys aren't there. That's one of the reasons why we talked about him as being a viable pick in that five, six, seven range. Now, there have been other people who hit there as well and have hit bigger in terms of Austin Eckler and Travis Kelsey most specifically. But Chase would have hung right with them if he hadn't had to miss that stretch. So I still like that selection sort of objectively when you look at where he is and where Justin Jefferson are in Dynasty Superflex, which I think is always an interesting question. And I had those guys third and fourth, I believe, this offseason and if anything, I do question whether even in Superflex, they should not be ahead of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, in a world where midseason drafts were featuring guys like Allen and Mahomes in the first round in single quarterback leagues, that's going to be a difficult argument to make. And yet you look at the way that Jefferson and chase are going to impact teams over the long term and you can pull out different examples of situations and anecdotes where maybe it would have been better to have this guy or that guy in different situations but i've just had so much success piecing together the qb position even in superflex and patrick crane and i were scoreboard watching today with our rv triflex team it's really a team it's kind of a, a stars and studs almost you can get that a little bit even if you build for depth if you're in the first year and you haven't been able to build the depth yet but that team of ours has herbert and mccaffrey jamar chase and then our other big star is reese hall so he goes out you lose those points jamar chase misses a month you lose those points justin herbert has been one of the biggest disappointments of the season you lose the ceiling that you had there even on a day like today where our team scored a, a huge number of points and probably or possibly we're still 50 50 in terms of of making it this is one where monday night football is going to be huge for us but if we had not had to if we had not played justin herbert today we would have had daniel jones in there with jerry goff and we did play and i mean even in a game today where the giants get blown out and jones has removed late and on the other side of that the chargers have a signature victory for them the scoring for herbert and daniel jones is basically the same you say, well, if we had used that Justin Herbert pick on Justin Jefferson, then you add 11 catches and 200 and some yards there. I kind of like that in terms of what we see, not just this year, but every year with the quarterback position. So many different ways to fill that with all of the injuries that happen. You have a big game today from Brock Purdy. Are those guys going to hit and score at the level that Justin Herbert does in the seasons where he has a big year? No. Justin Herbert, obviously a foundation piece. Are those guys going to be able to neutralize the advantage that a Josh Allen has? Obviously no, but even again today, you go through the entire season and there are going to be some down games. One of the plays where I was yelling at the TV today was Josh Allen's actual touchdown run, right? Really wanted to hand him to hand that ball to 
James Cook. <laughs> so, Josh, don't be greedy. You've had a fantastic season. You were having a bad game today. Hand that ball off there. Now, he scores the touchdown. Obviously, that's the way that is supposed to work. But Jamar Chase, I mean, he and, and Justin Jefferson are going to be battling for not just the number one spot in redraft and dynasty at the wide receiver position for the next decade, but they could be battling for their spot next to Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, and Megatron, whom you just mentioned. It's tough for me to call him. Megatron, possibly still my favorite player, he and Barry Sanders, right up there together with a little Jamal Charles thrown in. I don't know that I want Megatron's record to fall, but if it does, to someone like a Justin Jefferson, obviously that's pretty well deserved. The crazy thing in this one today, and it's not a matter of saying, okay, well, the Browns crushed the Bengals the last time they played. Deshaun Watson is hurting them. We know that's not the way that the world works, but it is a situation now where Watson has played poorly twice. It is a situation where a more pass-oriented attack led them to a very inefficient offense and more or less getting handled by a shorthanded Bengals squad where the previous time they just ran rough shot over the Bengals, but they weren't able to get Nick Chubb going today. 14 carries, 34 yards. He has a couple of receptions as well. If you were playing against him to get into your playoffs or to win your title, you feel like you dodged a big bullet. You mentioned the fact that he hasn't played for a long time. He didn't look good in the preseason. It's very difficult to miss all this time and come out successfully Part of it is that I'm rooting against him, and so I just want to be straightforward and honest about that. But also, I I don't think the expectations where he came out and lit the world on fire were remotely fair to him. If you are rooting for him, that probably wasn't realistic. It's easy to say that now that he's had a couple of bad games, but that was sort of our recommendation to folks throughout the year. You know, Don't burn those picks on him. You're going to have a chance again next year where he's probably going to be less expensive than he would otherwise be because he has a bad finish to this year. If you want to get back on Deshaun Watson for cheap, maybe play it that way. The other big thing that has happened here is that it does change the dynamic when you bring in a new quarterback. And so I know that there was some talk about, well, Amari Cooper has been one of the breakout stars or one of the sort of post-hype bounce back stars of the 22 season. He and Jacoby Brissett, fantastic. I think Brissett deserves a huge amount of credit for how well he played. I think that was sort of an under the radar, big storyline of the year. Even if Watson had come out and played well, we don't necessarily know that that would have lifted Amari Cooper because every quarterback and the way they see the field, their preferences for going through the progressions, how the play caller has to call plays to work to the strengths of that quarterback, those things are going to be different. Part of this is that I was wrong on Amari Cooper and what kind of season he would have from the get-go. I didn't expect him to dominate targets the way that he did and to have such an efficient year on top of that. But a game here where Peoples-Jones leads with 12 targets, where David Njoku is really the force, his touchdown catch, very impressive today. This type of split was more what I had anticipated. And so partly, I guess it just seems not inevitable, but understandable that Amari Cooper would drop down as you bring in a different quarterback and just change the dynamic of this offense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sean, the next question I'm going to jump to is Sunday Night Football. We get the Dolphins and the Chargers. We get a win for the Chargers, 23-17. You know, the Dolphins have been on a, a pretty pretty much a roll, and we've been talking about how good they've looked all season. They are now 8-5, and five, and the Chargers, who are a team who feels like they've really had to struggle through this season, and they are now 7-6. and six. So it's interesting how quickly some of these records and some of the perceptions around teams can change. But this was one where the Dolphins really struggled huge parts of it uh, Tyreek Hill has 10 targets four receptions 81 yards and a touchdown so the accuracy of Tua is the big kind of question coming out of this one not 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 in general but just how this performance went 28 attempts just the 10 completions 145 yards one touchdown averaging 5.2 yards per attempt there when we look through it uh, on the other side we get Justin Herbert in one of his stronger games and in, in recent memory but he does throw it 51 times 367 yards one touchdown that touchdown goes to the returning mike williams he has six targets six receptions 116 yards does pretty much what we expect mike williams to do strong at the point of the catch making those big wide receiver plays we get 14 targets for keen allen 12 receptions 92 yards for him austin eckler eight for eight on 59 yards so disappointing day overall for the Dolphins I've mentioned on the good times that T Higgins and Jalen Waddle are some of my most drafted players this year when a, when a day like this happens Sean in week 14 it can make it a little bit challenging but the question I have is Tyreek Hill has one of the most unusual spectacular interesting touchdowns in this where we get a, a fumble on a Russian play which is kind of bouncing around he picks it up at around his own 45-yard line and rushes all the way to the end zone uh, on that play, he obviously gets the, the touchdown points for it, but no, obviously, rece- uh, rushing yards come the way off it. And I think this is more just that this is a unique, bizarre play. Most of the time, fumble recoveries are going to be you know, fumbled and just picked up at the point off the, the spot. But we see sometimes fumbles into the end zone or fumbled in the end zone recovered for a touchdown. We don't see many fumbled at the halfway line picked up return for a touchdown plays but i'm sure there's some uh tyreek hill you know managers out there being like that would be nice to have those extra you know 50 <laughs> 50 yards rushing added on there i think it's just more a case of a, a bizarre set of circumstances leading to this I, I don't think there's any point in you know changing your rules in your league i think we're, we're not going to see this happen too many times it just illustrates again the phenomenal speed from hill because as soon as he picks that up and starts to go around the corner and everybody's he's gone he's, he's gone, gone. He, he's gone so that was a cool play if, if this was at the uh his own goal line he was taking this the, he's gone yeah the, uh, a variety of things happening in this game here we know that the chargers ask you to run against them but in this game they also stop the run and so you look at raheem mostert he appeared to have a great draw in this one but 
doesn't come through. 11 carries, only 37 yards. Jeff Wilson leaves with an injury. That part, unfortunate for fantasy managers, again, who felt like they had a great matchup here to make a push into their playoffs. And now maybe they're looking at not having him for a while. The injuries to the receivers as well. Jalen Waddell really set the tone for this game. It was a horrible performance by Tua. The lack of arm strength was pretty glaring. And this was the first game where he didn't seem to be on the same page with his receivers. There were multiple times spread across both Hill and Waddle where he actually did throw accurately to them and they didn't pick the ball up. And so the ball ends up just hitting the turf near them where it was a decent pass. He goes through a long stretch where the passes are nowhere close, but in that very first drive, they start out incomplete these pass to Hill. That one seemed to have more possibilities than what actually happened with Hill's effort on it. The second and 10 play Tua has Waddle open across the middle. It's been the textbook example of why their offense has been so successful all season. Throws a dart, Waddle drops it. And within this amazing season that Waddle has had, and especially before he got hurt, Waddle is now on sort of a multi-game stretch where he hasn't been nearly as dynamic because of this leg injury. And so from, again, from a fantasy manager's perspective, you asked about that situation with T. Higgins the situation here with Waddle has been somewhat similar where he did has fought through it. And I'm, I like that he's had a groin injury early in the season that he more or less plays through. Now he's got what the reporting seems to be is a, a, a deep bone bruise in his leg. I mean, I don't know hundred percent for sure if, if that is the case, but he's not a hundred percent. And you could see it today, but at the same time, he's got to be able to, to catch the ball. For all the dynamism, he's left a lot of plays on the field where the ball has hit his hands and he has not pulled it in. We'd like to see him start doing that. A 231 and zero performance in this game. Very, very frustrating. There's such a stark contrast. And I it's unfortunate for the Dolphins, who I think still deserve a ton of credit for being one of the most exciting teams in the NFL this year, one of the few teams that hasn't capitulated to defenses. This year, Mike McDaniel, a breakout star as a coach, to uh, you know having a borderline MVP season before this game. But the narratives have really seemed to eat them up the last couple of weeks where you have this matchup with the 49ers. And obviously, we know what goes into that with some of the players who have been on the 49ers. Obviously, the coaching staff portions of that coming from there. They have a real meltdown. And then this game, the big narrative is Justin Herbert versus Tua. Is Tua going to show that he deserved to be the guy? And he was selected earlier. But this is a battle between the young stars. You know, which one of them is going to emerge and be that contender or that challenger to Joe Burrow? I mean, both of these guys arguably have been better. But Joe Burrow has already taken his team to the brink of a title and is now riding a real wave right now. Obviously, those narratives... Big picture are very unimportant. All three of these guys are hits. They're going to lead their teams to the playoffs and to the possibility of being champions for hopefully the next 15 years. I mean, these guys don't get hurt. We're looking at 15 years of greatness from this trio. But, I mean, you have to have the storylines, and the storylines are fun. I, I'd actually doubt that it plays into Tua's performance that much. But when you have a game where he's 10 for 28, another one where Herbert is 39 for 51, then it does swing back in the direction of Herbert, who was the star coming into the season. You look at the different spots where these guys were drafted. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot, column, 
is that you're not going to always be right, but that late round quarterback is still very viable. One of the guys that we really wanted people to draft this year was Justin Fields. I mean, that has been a mixed bag because if you drafted him in redraft, there's a really good chance that you cut him his first month, only scoring 11 points per game. He's been transcendent since. And, you know, it can happen a month in. It can happen between seasons with the coaching change like we've seen with Tua. You want to make some bets with the cheap guys because if you get that performance at that cost compared to the performance at a third, fourth, fifth round pick cost, it dramatically changes what the overall composition of your team could be. But Herbert creating that bounce back in the game today, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle caught six of 14 targets. So number one, the targets aren't there in part because they simply could not sustain any drives. They more or less did not have the ball on the other side of the field. You have 20 targets for Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. They catch 18 of those. They combine for over 200 yards. Mike Williams catches the touchdown. He averages 19 yards per catch today. And several of the catches were really difficult. So you look at this game, Josh Palmer still does get the six targets. Has another solid game in his own right. But for anybody, and I would put myself in this category, even though I really like Mike Williams coming into the season, I mean, how much of a difference is it going to really make if Palmer has filled in, not explosively, but competently? Today we saw how much difference Mike Williams can make. A contested catch guy, and then just having more overall talent. To have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and to still have Josh Palmer as your safety valve. To have Gerald Everett, who, you know, we always have to mention Gerald Everett. He catches 5 for 28. That's more helpful to you in tight end premium. Then you have this type of offense, especially with Austin Eckler, as another piece to it where you can be explosive if you have herbert and dynasty then you have a lot of fun years ahead of you and as we go down the stretch here there there have been a lot of different games in the afc west where teams have had the chiefs on the ropes and weren't able to come through the big story for me with the afc west is that with these teams all kind of melting down it's given the Chiefs an easy path or a free ride. The Denver Broncos were not quite willing to make it that easy today. Colin, we'll talk a little bit more about that on Tuesday. Yeah, I, just, I mean, 23-17 here. The Dolphins almost recover the onside kick at the end. I mean, you can imagine if the Dolphins actually had won this game with how completely and totally the Chargers outplayed them. It's going to be a battle for these last AFC playoff spots. Yeah, I think it is. And the other part there is... This was probably one of those games we thought in our dreams, you know, both teams in the 30s maybe in terms of the scoring. So it didn't live up to the hype, but it was great to see Mike Williams back out there, I have to say. Obviously, just from his point of view, getting back on the field, but looked uh, to be back to pretty much 100% as well. So good for him, good for the Chargers. We'll see how they finish up this season, as you mentioned, those final playoff spots. And we will be talking about the Chiefs when we get to the Tuesday show. But Sean, as we get ready to close today's one, we are going to talk about the buffalo bills and the new york jets you mentioned already josh allen gets that rushing touchdown he has one passing touchdown both teams struggled moving the ball in this one you know <laughs> i want to leave this one completely up to you we get garrett wilson solid day you know we get son of a night nice day what else do we get here sean tell me what we get in this this game well you got rain and you got snow and i think anybody who started guys from this game in the first half especially you were thinking man if i had any other lineup choice i could have made i wish i had gone that direction 
because this game started with a punt from the Bills, and then a punt from the Jets, and then a punt from the Bills, and then a punt from the Jets, and then a punt from the Bills, and then a punt from the Jets, and then a punt from the Bills, and then a punt from the Jets, and then a punt from the Bills, and then a punt from the Jets. So they were all tied at four punts apiece at that point? Is that right? Well, I think they both punted five times in a row to start the game. No fantasy points for punts, no? Well, I until very recently, I was in an old PFF league with Mike Clay and the gang, where, yeah, there there were points for punts. We we'd have to start a punter, and obviously the strategy with punters is you want to pick one off the worst teams in the NFL because they punt the most. You're not thinking that the Buffalo Bills are going to be in that category. They do finally get going here, make some really pretty spectacular plays to sustain that drive, get the touchdown at the end. It was cool here because Mike White then has a fantastic second half. They're not able to win. Obviously, they don't light it up. They score 12 total points, but he takes multiple massive hits. Joe Flacco comes in, and I mean, I had some enthusiasm for Joe Flacco coming into this game because you're really hoping that there's anything possible that can get Garrett Wilson going. Maybe it will him. He comes in and fumbles, which is kind of what you would expect Joe Flacco to do. Even if you're only required to play a couple of plays, Joe Flacco does have a fumble in there for you. That influence this game here mike white comes back in he fights through the other big story here is that even though it was raining they couldn't move the ball you know what they're going to try and do son of the night for the third straight game breaking tackles running hard i mean doesn't have that elite speed one of the reasons why you know he was not a big prospect in this year's class he doesn't have the tested athleticism doesn't have the fantastic size but he carries 17 times for 71 yards and a touchdown he adds a couple of receptions as well. So you get a good fantasy game out of him and you do get Garrett Wilson getting open for six catches and 78 yards. We're finally starting to see this emergence too of Elijah Moore behind him. Elijah Moore actually leads the team in targets in part because Corey Davis makes a nice 15 yard reception early and then gets knocked out of the game. That part, obviously unfortunate for him mostly because he's not going to be started that often in fantasy in this game. But that does open it up for Elijah Moore, who doesn't do anything spectacular, but helps the Jets move the ball here in the second half. I think you have to like the fight from them. And then again, Ben and I profiled this game in our Friday evening slash Saturday morning episode of Ceiling Bananas. We do some looking ahead to the games, digging into the road of his tools, the passing matchup reader, the advanced team stats tool. What is it saying about these matchups? And what it said in this game is that the Jets are going to slow down Josh Allen, maybe stop him completely. You don't see him throw 27 passes and only gain 147 yards very often. He does throw the touchdown. He avoids the picks. He gets sacked three times. He carries the team with his legs. Devin Singletary, fine, but they didn't really go to him. James Cook, only the four carries for six yards. That was a real dagger to a couple of my lineups today. Perhaps too excited to get him in there after how good he looked a week ago. But Allen with the 10 carries, the 47 yards, the touchdown, as I kind of jokingly mentioned earlier, would have loved for him to hand off. But the Jets, even though they lose, they shut down Stephon Diggs. They shut down Gabe Davis. They do everything you can. Their young quarterback battled. They just didn't have quite enough here. But even though they fall to 7-6, and six, I think the playoffs are still on the horizon for them as well. I think they're going to be 
I think they're come back off of this game in a big way, feeling like they competed, they came up just short, and they're going to be fiery for Week 15. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you know using the tools that, and how they might slow them down. The, Sauce Gardner, you know the rookie for the Jets, has been incredible this season so far, and another reason why they slowed them down. But New York's defense has been has been pretty impressive. Sean, this is a list I'm going to go through here. We haven't talked about these games. I'm already pretty excited about potentially our Tuesday show here because Jacksonville, Tennessee, we get to talk about Trevor Lawrence, Evan Ingram, Derrick Henry. Lots to talk about there. Dallas, Houston, we get to talk about Tony Pollard, how things went for him again this week. Baltimore, your guy, J.K. Dobbins, back active and looking pretty good in this. You mentioned the the breakaway speed for Zonovan Knight. That would be the one note when we get to that show. It didn't look like he quite had his electric breakaway speed there in the, the Baltimore game, but has a, a nice day. Then we get your KC Chiefs versus the Denver Broncos. And we'll be talking about Jerry Judy. We'll be talking about Jarek McKinnon. Sean, those legs are, are no longer tired for Jarek McKinnon. And then we have the 49ers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a, a dominant, dominant display. So we'll be talking about all of that when we get to our Tuesday show. But Sean, again, the tools, you mentioned them. We mentioned this on the previous shows, but you can now sign up and get a 25% discount off a one-month Rotoviz NFL pass using the code RV Radio 2022 at checkout. That is 25% off a one month NFL pass. Get access to all of the content and tools. Once again, that is RV Radio 2022. Monday night football left to go. We get the Patriots and the Cardinals. But Sean, this here week, we get Thursday night football. We get Saturday football this week. We have Saturday football the next couple of weeks here. So pretty should be pretty stocked in terms of the, the action coming up, but looking forward to it. Anyone needing something to happen for them to get that win on monday night football best of luck hopefully you get the w that you need and and it's a fun game here coming up on monday night football but we will be back with the rest of the games recapped on our tuesday edition of road of his overtime make sure you are subscribed on the road of his overtime podcast feed to get that as soon as it comes out usually around 5 p.m eastern on tuesdays my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over and my co-host as always is sean siegel you can check out all of sean's work up on rotaviz.com and until we are back have a good one thank you for listening to overtime on rotaviz radio please rate and review the rotaviz radio podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast app you can contact us via email at rotavizradio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at rotaviz radio and remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to rotaviz with a discount through the rotaviz radio homepage rotaviz.com forward slash podcast